This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hey there, I'm Tom Montgomery, co-founder and chief digital officer at Chubby's. And what I love about fashion is that it's this very real connection, this creative connection between a brand on one side and an entire community on the other side. Here's what this brand has to say about itself. The most radical shorts known to mankind have arrived to take men out of the Capri age of shortswear. But the very successful Chubby's brand has truly evolved over time with thoughtful strategy and growth in marketing. Coming up, you'll hear from one of the founders who's also the CMO and CTO about utilizing relatable concepts of wellness, healthy mental space, and relaxation to build a healthy, positive, and inclusive community. Keeping the brand ethos alive through content that isn't even intended to drive sales or advertise product. Testing out new channels and influencers. Why drink koozies have played such a pivotal role in building community for Chubbies. And what might be the greatest answer to off-the-grid questions ever involving some bad airport seafood and a proposal. From New York City, you're listening to Fashion Is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the fashion industry. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you here. Uh, and I'm here with Kathy Shepes on loan from American Fashion Podcast. And uh, Kathy also does advisory work helping direct-to-consumer apparel brands build healthy infrastructure for long-term sustainability. Check her out, leancanvasadvisory.com. Kathy, hello. Hi. It's Good fun day. to be on loan. I like it. <laughs> Like being in a gallery. It's like I'm a museum, <laughs> exactly. right? You're, you're an exhibit, I guess. Uh, also with us, uh, we're fortunate Mouth Media Network, which produces Fashion Is Your Business, uh, has connected with Commerce Next to interview some of the speakers from their upcoming conference in New York on July 31st and August 1st. And one of those speakers is Joe Yakwell, the CEO of Agency Within, and he is on our show yet again. And great to have you here. Thanks for having me. All right, Joe. Uh, and our guest today, as we mentioned before, Tom Montgomery, Chief Digital Officer and co-founder of a very, very cool brand. If you don't know it, you should check it out. Uh, and shame on, shame on you for not knowing it, honestly. Uh, and then that's Chubby's. Tom, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, everybody. Uh, I'd like to start here, Tom. Um, how is Chubby's thinking of itself now versus, say, the day that it was incepted? How has that vision or messaging or even the way you think about your company transformed? Yeah, uh, well, quite a bit. Um, so I think when we started the business, um, you know, there, there are a few things that have changed. There are a few things that have stayed very, very consistent. So when we started the business, um, we were very, very oriented around a, a specific product category, which was men's short shorts, and a very, very visceral ethos, which was like this this very um, stark embrace of the weekend. Um, and I think the the running current that hasn't changed is is really that embrace of the weekend. Um, I think the um, 
the kind of uh, mechanics and uh, and the kind of why behind the weekend and why we're pushing for the weekend so much has evolved um, in the eight years that we've been in business. When we started, I graduated in 2008 from college uh, into, you know, the, the, the recession into a really tumultuous job market. Um, and myself and my peers were extremely stressed about career. Um, and career was this very, very um, uh, kind of salient stressor for us. And so the weekend was that moment where we could take a, take a little breath, take some mental space, take some physical space, relax, be, get healthy. Um, and, and that was such a powerful thing. And that, that juxtaposition of kind of the, the insanity of career versus needing to actually find yourself some space, um, was really powerful for us. Um, I think now it's very similar. It's just the the thing the job market is great right now. But I think the thing that is really interesting is that connectivity has enabled people to work twenty four hours a day if they want to. Um, and in the United States, that that that's almost that's not that's not becoming the expectation. Um, but it is uh, you know as you think about people you're competing against, it starts to become a stressor if you can see that they're online twenty four hours a day. They're sending messages really really late you can start to build up this stress with your career. And so, so for us, um, everybody else is working on business casual. We want to carve out that space for the weekend and that mental space. And I think that has remained really, really consistent. And then obviously from a product category perspective, we've expanded into, um, into a variety of shorts. We started with like six colors of, of uh, casual shorts built after the kind of 1980s style, uh, the, the uh, flowing Farrah Fawcett hair, uh, tiny shorts um, uh, ethos that we saw in our dads and, and uh, families. Um, and, and now we're across, uh, I think, something like 12 different categories in uh, short bottom, swim trunks, sport shorts, uh, lounge wear, also into men's tops, um, and have run some tests kind of in general in some outerwear and also looking at ladies' opportunity as well. So, so from a category perspective, definitely have expanded quite a bit. How has your view about community uh, perhaps grown, or that, was that in your vision from the very start? That was that was in the vision from the very start. I think one of there there were a few things that that we realized early on. One um, was that uh, with social tools, you can you can actually build a community. Um, that was that was relatively unique. Uh, Prior to the launch of Facebook and the launch of uh, all of these social platforms, um, your main digital way to build community was was obviously your web traffic, your customer base, um, and then your mailing list. Um, and and prior to anything digital, it was basically people who would walk into your store um, or people who were subscribing to your catalog. But social gave people a very very easy way to opt in to receiving communications from brands, uh, which was really really cool. Free communications from brands, and so. From the beginning, we knew that there was this kind of uh, kernel that was community. Uh, and not only that, our product lent itself to uh, be a conversation piece. Um, so, so that's the first point. The second point was that for us to be successful in competing against these, these fashion behemoths, um, we kind of had to find <laughs> ways to scale our dollars. And the way you can scale your dollars with social is you get people talking, sharing. Um, and that that is community. Um, and so it was not only uh, a piece of it, it was kind of the vital piece of it um, that enabled us to scale our marketing spend um, in those days uh, to be able to compete with the biggest people out there. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely been a huge piece of, of what we focused on since day one. The evolution of it is kind of interesting. You know, definitely platforms have evolved. Um, we went through when, when posting on Facebook would reach all of your organic followers to maybe, you know, 3% of your organic followers to the rise of Instagram. Um, and I'd say that Instagram is definitely where we're allocating a decent amount of attention these days um, to experimenting with some of the fleeting kind of social engagement platforms like Snapchat. Um, and now on into TikTok, we're kind of you know, getting our noses into everything to try and figure out, is our customer here? Does do Is it authentic if we engage in this way? Um, so that's been an evolution, uh, but still definitely... Um, we want to give our customers and our community um, the, the products and content that make them engage, make them share, uh, and really create that bond amongst you know, the millions of people who, who engage with our brand. I think that's really awesome. I think, I guess one of the challenges with that kind of evolution that I think would be really interesting to unpack a little bit is that in the beginning, it was so niche and hyper-targeted with a very specific type of product that was applying to a very specific type of audience where the community was really real and, and really organic and, you know, really engaged. And I'm not saying that's not the case today. I think to the contrary, how have you been able to maintain that since I still do see that with your brand today while you expand product lines and also expand, expand on the type of people that buy your product, which you know, by definition, just makes it harder to maintain that community feel in a way that was really close and engaged like it was in the beginning. So like, how do you think about keeping the community and and not straying away from what your roots are while you expand the product mix and the type of people that buy it? Yeah, for sure. So, so first, I think, I think uh, from a paradigm perspective, we think of ourselves as part of the community um, just as much as all of our customers, right? Uh, we are engaging in the community just as they are. Um, and so being a member of the community uh, versus, you know, kind of having any kind of claim on the community, I, I, I think is important to us. The second piece is, um, is that our community is just a group of awesome people. <laughs> um, and and it's, it's great to see kind of how many awesome people there are out there in the world. But uh, kind of inclusiveness, being welcoming is a huge tenet internally and externally of the brand. Um, and I think our community shares that. Like, you know, if you, if you encounter somebody and you're wearing um, some of our gear and they're wearing some of our gear, uh, it is a conversation starter. It is a welcome. It is like a hug, a pat on the back, a high five, what have you. Um, and so what's interesting is that that running current of being welcoming and being uh, being an, like an outgoing uh, kind of uh, high-fiving sort of person and, and welcoming people into a community um, goes a long way. Um, and so I think that's one of the big pieces and fundamental pieces is that, that the community of which we're a part is just really, really great um, and really welcoming. And as you bring in diverse perspectives and new people and, and new product lines, um, they're the people who are you know, welcoming you with a handshake and a pat on the back. And so I, I think that's probably the biggest thing. 
Um, I think the other piece is constantly maintaining focus on on what we're what we're what we care about and what we're here for. And I think um, that is this pursuit of the weekend. That is this pursuit of something that everyone can relate with. Is the idea of you need to you need to find yourself some mental space, even if it's an hour at the end of the day. Um, you need to find mental space. You need to find a moment to take a breath and relax. If that's the way that that you decompress or go out with buddies, go out with friends and family, throw a barbecue. Um, that's an extremely relatable concept and the thing that we're passionately pushing um, as is important. Um, and I think the community rallies around that. Um, and, and I think that that combination has allowed us to stay with, you know, kind of you know, pretty, pretty solid engagement rates um, and continue to grow the community. So, so if you think about how to take that into a channel like Instagram, right, where clearly you're a big player uh, and, you know, if you were to think about it, as as an advantage to have this community how do you then put that in front of somebody who maybe doesn't know about your brand or the community you've built in a way that expresses it and and drives it home versus if i were to start a a you know brand similar to chubby's tomorrow and didn't have that community right i could show a pair of of shorts that might look similar to yours right how do you differentiate yourself in a way that drives that community forward for somebody who doesn't already know it and isn't part of it yeah, so I think first uh, to reiterate, the community is a differentiator. Um, For sure, the the amazing people who are members of it are differentiators. And if you look at our our social feed, a lot of what we're posting is photos that have been sent to us from the community of just a showcase of these are these people. Um, and we took that kind of to the next level of, over the past couple of years with our man model contest, um, where we're actually asking our customers to become models um, and and getting just a variety of different sorts of people involved um, across the board. And and uh, and it, it, it just continues to iterate kind of how diverse and, and awesome this customer base is. And so I think as people see that, they see um, something with which they can relate. I think the second piece is data. Um, so targeting and data is really, really important to us. Matching up the right creative with the right audience is really, really important to us. So as we think about um, anything from a content advertising perspective, we always have a thought towards uh, who's the who's the customer here, who's the community here, um, and and why is this pertinent to them? Why do they care about this? Um, and and can like will they engage on this content? And if they engage, how will they engage? Will they tag their friends in the comments? Will they um, save the post? Will they message the post to friends? Um, and so, so I think having that thought process constantly going um, is a really, really important piece. And and having a way to uh, assess your performance um, is is definitely an important piece. And so. For us, we're definitely very focused on engagement, very focused on community growth. Um, and so as we think about what a post needs to do for us and how to think about its audience, those are the things that we have in the, in the back of our minds. And so, you know, th- there's the old, the old adage of, of, you know, you grow, you grow the, the, the metrics that you actually measure. And so, um, you know, for us, that's, that's, that's been crucial. So I feel like there's something um, maybe you're not mentioning in the brand. And as I look at Instagram, it looks like not only um, the people behind the brand, but as well as your community are like really having a great time. <laughs> like it's a lot. It looks like it's a lot of fun. And there's there's so much conversation about, you know, how to differentiate your brand now is really like how do you build a tribe around your brand? You know, and it looks like Chubby's has kind of mastered that. So what are some of the you know, 
unique or maybe even crazier things that you feel that you've done? I don't want to say crazy, but unique um, to help build this customer <laughs> loyalty. Yeah. Uh, so we've done all sorts of things I, from the beginning. Content has been really, really important to us. Uh, you know, it started with with me uh, just writing crazy emails um, and that was the main content distribution that we had going. Um, so since since day one, we've always had a Friday uh, email that is basically the weekend kickoff. We call it the Weekender. Um, and that's been running for eight years as long as we've been in business. It's evolved um, in very different ways as, as different writers have taken the helm. Uh, but it's always been this moment for us just to put content in front of people. Um, not, not a shopping message, not anything that's, that's you know, promoting a sale or anything like that. Uh, basically just put pushing content, letting people know what our perspective is. Um, I'll say one of the funniest ones uh, back in the day uh, that was that was of the more ridiculous and like was the first piece of email content that we saw going, you know, quasi getting shared, getting shared socially um, was we wrote an open letter to the then CEO of Abercrombie and Fitch, Michael Jeffries, just basically imploring him to stop making cargo shorts. Just as like these, this is a blight on this I is just that. a blight it's on amazing. humanity. <laughs> we we all can agree. Let's 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 move let's move to the next phase and trying to get him in along with us, you know, and and move him into that into that uh, future those future greener pastures. Um, it was really fun, really funny to put together. Um, and, and so that was an example. Another example of some of the misadventures we had is we realized in the early days what it cost effectively kind of to, 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 to purchase a Facebook follower. Um, and this was back when Facebook was the only game in town as far as uh, social and, uh, and community growth. Um, and so we had a harebrained idea to, uh, we, we basically also knew how much it cost to produce a koozie, uh, like a beer koozie. Um, and, uh, and, the, and the beer koozie was obviously a lot less expensive, even as you in, in incorporated like postage to send it out to people. So we ran a campaign where um, if people liked our page, we would give them a koozie and it was just completely organic. Um, and uh, 30,000 koozies later, we had exploded <laughs> our, uh, our community. Um, but now we had this, this intriguing problem of between, I think, four or five people. How do we ship out 30,000 koozies? Um, and, uh, and so there was, there was a really funny trial there. I'd say, looking back, it was a really awesome moment for the brand. Uh, looking forward, um, no more it will be very tough. <laughs> yeah, it will be very tough to send out that many koozies. Uh, but things like that, I think a commitment to being able to be ridiculous, a commitment to being, to being able to, to take shots that, um, that we know that the incumbents are too secure to take, right? I think that's the thing is like, we kind of have to be ridiculous and we have to push the envelope because that's our competitive advantage. We don't have cash or capital as a competitive advantage. Um, and, you know, the installed base for the biggest brands out there is bigger than our installed base. And so for us, we have to do these things um, uh, to grow and to, and to basically come up as the underdogs there. So we work with a lot of, of uh, you know, direct consumer brands, digitally native brands, and, I think everyone is pretty big on Facebook and Instagram as a marketing channel. You mentioned that same for you. How do you think about diversification here in terms of 
what gets you that next phase of scale um, as you have this amazing community in this channel and this channel also gets more competitive from a paid perspective. And I think there's more and more data coming out around how limited the reach is from organic and how much more you need to put into paid in order to really expose people you know, to what you're trying to say. Uh, so, so what are you guys doing to start to test into things beyond what has gotten you to where you are today? Totally. So, so I, I think the first thing that I'd say is uh, we use social definitely as a marketing engine, definitely as a conversion engine. Um, but for us, we want to make sure that those conversions are happening in uh, in more repeatable channels. And so what I mean by that is if I can um, run content that gets you to remember our brand and generate an organic search, uh, that's kind of my best case scenario. Um, and because you, we've gotten a behavior that is you remembered us, uh, you didn't just click through on a, on an ad without really knowing who this brand was. Um, and so that's the engagement that we're really, really focusing on is how to build your organic traffic base and how to build your own traffic base. Um, and, and for us, so for us from day one, that's been the approach is how do we actually build a repeatable business, even using these kind of potentially, uh, potentially limited tools or tools that are going to continue to get more and more expensive. Um, so that's first is really investing in your organic and known traffic um, and uh, channels of, of distribution. So, uh, so first point there. Second point is um, for us, we do a lot of video and visual content. Um, and so we look at platforms that enable us to distribute that um, and recently um, have been taking a very hard look at, at linear TV, uh, OTT, um, things like that, where the, the distribution is vast um, and, and basically your main issue is your pricing model there. Um, and so kind of working through pricing, working through those things. And I'd say we've seen some definitely intriguing tests this year um, and ones that we're hoping to scale. Um, but once again, what we love about those channels is that they drive back um, to organic um, is they generate a memory, they generate a habit, um, which we love. And that's what we build towards every, in, in any channel that we're focused on. How are you looking Tom at all with, cause this seems to fit in really well to me, uh, strategic partnerships uh, with, uh, companies who are driving experiences themselves and uh, like companies like, let's say, I don't know if you're familiar with them, like surf yoga, beer, uh, organizations that are doing adventure experiences, um, tourism that involves unique experiences that create just great user generated content, uh, totally. or, 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 or strategic partnership content that, you know, is great for social that your brand would brands products would naturally be used in. Um, how are you looking at that and what kind of partnerships, if any, are you looking ahead towards? Yeah. So, um, from a partnerships perspective, uh, we are definitely looking at partners, uh, not exactly in the vein that you're that you're talking about. So, so I'll I'll talk through kind of what how we're approaching some partnerships ideas, and then talk through specifically what you're talking about, kind of more on the experiential side. Um, so, from a partnerships perspective, the brands uh, we definitely recognize um, is is able to be leveraged in a lot of really fun ways. So, recently we did a Star Wars partnership. We were able to bring that to life in a really cool way um, and engage our audience in just a really really cool and intriguing way. Um, 
and Star Wars was it, we were able to leverage some Star Wars marketing resources and and that kind of uh, you know that kind of um, you know synergy is the not not so cool way to put it but uh, that's that le- level of synergy is really has really been cool and we're looking at expanding that from an experiential perspective I think the fundamental piece that that makes things like Facebook and um, and Snapchat and 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 uh, the digital platforms really interesting is that they are generally all biddable, um, right? And so uh, there's a market that's going for the impressions um, and and basically you are rewarded for um, for better creative, better uh, better click-throughs, things like that um, by backing into an effective CPM that you're able to bid on a transact or, or on, a, on a user's impression. And so the biddable environment makes things really, really interesting for us. And I think when things get disconnected from biddable is when there's high likelihood for price dislocation. Um, and so that's been kind of the main thing that's tough for us to wrap our heads around from an experiential perspective is, is just kind of pricing model and how, how can we make this stuff work? We've done a ton of, of event activations and always have been scratching our heads around, uh, the attribution model there. Um, and, you know, I, I think there is a reality that is uh, brand impressions and brand value uh, definitely are valuable. Uh, for us, we want to make sure that anything we're investing in from a brand perspective has a KPI or has a metric I can track back to. And that that has just been tough for us to to nail down. Um, so I think that's been our limiter to to those sorts of experiential activations so far. Um, we are getting better at attribution in that sense and getting better at understanding, um, successes, wins and misses and things like that. Um, so I would expect it to, to us to continue to take shots in that regard. Um, but it's not a part of our core strategy at the moment. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. One of the things that that you mentioned was, you know, kind of video being a really good place for you guys to play in particular because visual is so important and it also gives you an opportunity to do that kind of storytelling in a way that really pushes the brand forward. Um, I haven't really heard you talk about YouTube yet, um, but you're talking about things like linear TV and OTT. Um, While I'd love to touch on your thoughts there, uh, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on a YouTube opportunity, given, you know, how visual and of course video focused it is in a way that seems to be a good fit for your brand. Yeah, YouTube is definitely intriguing for us. Um, so we will be running further tests there. Um, I'd say we've tested it quite a few times. Um, and um, and I think we just haven't quite mastered, once again, some of the attribution modeling, click-through modeling um, there to, to make it scalable. Um, I think for us, we just haven't tested it quite quite as in earnest as as we would want to test. So I think we're inconclusive. Uh, YouTube is definitely in consideration. Um, in the past, we've been comping against um, video on social platforms, which has outperformed for us uh, relatively systematically. Uh, I think what's interesting about video on social platforms is that it's shareable. Um, 
and uh, and there was a very specific moment um, a few few years ago when Facebook made YouTube content very tough to share and <laughs> tough to engage on. Um, and so YouTube is a lot has has from a content channel has has become a lot more around building out your subscriber base. Um, um, and so for us, that has been a, a slower effort that we just need to dedicate more resources towards currently we are just too too resource constrained and and have to focus but i think longer term definitely will be a part of our strategy got it got it and and speaking of of kind of sharing um and and using a lot of the ugc that you were talking about earlier um how do you think about influencer marketing and how that also is incremental versus cannibalizing where since your community is so strong and people are so engage in a way that they want to share. Are you guys also doing kind of paid influencer strategies and placements? Um, or are you avoiding it because the UGC is so strong? And if you are doing it, you know, how do you make sure that it's not something that you would be getting anyway, and that it's, it's actually adding incremental value? Uh, so influencer has definitely become a big part of our strategy this year. Um, and it has really opened up for us. I think the fundamental piece, and this is relatively obvious, is engage people who are already engaged in your community. Um, and as we, as we started working in that regard of people who are following us, engaging with us already customers, um, those are the people to kind of bring to the surface to start and start working on partnerships with. Um, and some of them have such large followings that, that they're getting paid for that. And, and we, we definitely need to be good stewards for them. And some people are just doing it for the fun of it. Um, and, and from, from all regards, we want to make sure that we're giving those people value, um, and engaging them uh, because it is it is a huge piece of the community. And so this year, if you look at kind of some of the most recent top engaged posts, a lot of them have been from uh, from our influencer channel, um, which has been really really cool to see. Um, so I think this year uh, it has become a lot a lot larger part. Um, once again, you <laughs> you struggle with some of your attribution there, um, and so for us, we don't want influencers to be salespeople. Um, we don't want them to be talking about promo codes. We want them to be fans of the brand and engaging with the brand um, in the way that they would want to engage with it. And so I think for us, we just want to give them more opportunities to do that um, as opposed to giving them a, a promo code that they're that they're bandying about the internet and trying to crank up sales volume. Uh, for us, we want to make sure it's just great content, great people, already fans of the brand. And that's been kind of the unique differentiator uh, this year. Uh, in terms of cannibalization, I think I think what's what's telling is definitely the content engagement levels. Um, so so we were fortunate enough to get a to get um, a random post from from uh, Dak Prescott recently. Yeah, I saw um, that one. <laughs> and if you look at the engagement rate on that post, like you can see that the community values um, that because those people are out there connecting in such cool ways um, with giant groups of people um, that they're very recognizable. It's awesome to see a kindred spirit in the community that you recognize and you know kind of from across the globe. Um, and so that's, I think the value is, is that these people are awesome people doing awesome things and and they they get to be a lens for how somebody can view, oh, that's, that's how this community comes to life. And that's a different way that I can see this community come to life. And so, um, to me, it's, it's been, it's been thoroughly additive, um, and valuable. I will say we have misstepped an influencer. And I think when we've misstepped an influencer, it's when we've gone to the like aspirational, uh, you know, like 
that person's that person's got a monster following and like they look like they're gonna they're just gonna crush it because they've got a great following theoretically we think that our customers might be a part of this following but the influencer isn't necessarily a huge fan of the brand um things like that when we've been a little bit too reaching um that's been less successful like very definitively um when the person is a fan of the brand engages with the brand already um it's been extremely successful for us um, Tom, I have a question with regards to your stores. Um, strategic, and you have a lot of them. I'm not sure how many. Um, strategically, are you looking to roll out more stores? And are you using influencers or other forms of technology to drive people into stores or engage with them once they're in the stores, i.e. on personalization or other um, areas? Yeah, so from a storage perspective, we're definitely just scratching the surface. I would call what we're doing a pop-up strategy for sure. Um, so we're getting into very, very short-term leases um, and kind of testing the waters. And we've, we've been doing that for a couple of years and have found a few store models that really, really work for us um, and a few store models that don't work perfectly well for us. And so we're, we're still in test and learn um, phase with like minimum viable products. So we have not done kind of the full level of investment that we wanted to, um, in terms of all of, all of the technology side of things. Uh, what's cool is that, is that our e-commerce backend is the same for retail point of sale. Um, so, so we definitely can apply a personalization layer. If somebody comes in, we can recognize them as a loyalist. We can give them, uh, additional perks and rewards and things like that. So, um, that's something that we're definitely doing to a certain extent, but, but it's not as full fledged as it can be. Um, and that, that is frankly just we're in test and learn phase. It's definitely really interesting. Um, when we put a store into a market, that market's new customer acquisition rates go up very definitively, um, and continue to scale at a, at a more aggressive pace. And so they are this kind of cool community hub. Um, and, and so I think that, that is an ethos that we're looking to, um, to push throughout our future strategy. Uh, definitely looking to looking at expansion. I think for us, we are now in the phase where we're honing the model and trying, trying to continue to experiment with a limited, limited set of stores based on resources we have internally to find a model that scales um, from a total, total kind of regional revenue perspective and regional customer acquisition perspective. I'd say that we have some good, good, early leanings towards how to scale, but we haven't, I think, nailed the model that that is kind of um, the future and, and something that we can just start throwing tons of resources at. So one of the things that really helps brands tie the attribution piece together between online and offline, which I know you mentioned attribution a few times, the struggle in some of the other channels, and I think we can come back to that. But, but speaking about stores in particular, um, you know, I think a lot of brands are really struggling with ways to capture, you know, customer information at point of checkout, which is really a necessity to do very good, you know, either CRM and loyalty marketing, but even just attributing back to how you heard about these people and is this a new customer or not and what marketing channel do they come from? Um, mm -hmm. And some brands are doing it really, really well. Um, what have you guys done, if anything, to make sure that you're able to get a high capture rate at point of sale in the store to make sure that you know, you know, who the person is that's making that transaction and tie back to an email address or something of the sort? Is there some kind of value exchange that you're offering to do that? 
Yeah, we have uh, definitely experimented with that once again uh, using koozies. Um, as, <laughs> that's as your that's your go to trick yeah. is the koozie. <laughs> it's when in doubt, add a koozie. I like it. <laughs> yeah, they're great. I mean, they're awesome, and 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 they 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 give you an opportunity to tell a fun story that a person could carry around with them. Um, so they when you talk about narrative, koozies are great for narrative. Um, so so I've experimented with that. Definitely, uh, capture rate is a, is a KPI for us in the stores. Um, so so we focus on it. I, you know, things like asking for it um, definitely go a long way. <laughs> uh, but yes, value exchange is something we're experimenting with and trying to hack those upward. Our capture rate is pretty good right now. Um, we'd love for it to be 100. percent So, uh, so you know, we're we're edging we're edging closer and closer to that. But um, but yeah, definitely looking at value exchange. Definitely looking at things like. Uh, that are that are relatively low cost, um, but cool storytelling moments um, to 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 find those moments of value exchange. Very cool. And so so it's literally like give me your email, I'll give you a koozie. Yeah, cool, love it. Um, and uh, and then if we kind of bring this attribution back a little bit, so you know with with the way that you're you're spending across these digital platforms. I think attribution is top of mind for everyone that we work with. And it's a, a really big core to being successful in digital along with, you know, lifetime value strategies, which, which I'd love to, to ask you about in a minute. Uh, but on the attribution side, what, what's your kind of secret sauce of how you're figuring out how to give credit to these different marketing touch points? You know, I'm sure it's not a last click approach, which is, you know, what everyone's trying to move away from. So what are you doing between these different marketing channels to figure out how you can really give the right credit to these different touch points? Yeah, I, we are we are perpetual learners over here. So this is an area where we're still learning for sure. Uh, disclaimer, <laughs> uh, but uh, but we are building um, models that are appropriate to the channels. Um, so I, I think uh, there is a multitude of ways that we approach this. Um, first is pulse testing, um, to understand kind of reactivity to changes in budget, um, is a big one for us is when you're pulsing a certain channel versus another channel, all things being equal, are you seeing the things you care about growing, um, is, is just from a total business perspective and isolating down to, to, um, to the channels that you would expect to be hit. So that's one that is big for us. Um, the second is using holdout groups. So people who aren't seeing XYZ channel, um, understanding how they react versus uh, people who are actually seeing the ads and the, and the content there um, is another big piece for us that gives us reliability around some attribution. Um, and, and then I think the last piece is obviously using data from platforms, using view through data from platforms um, to try and isolate um, uh, a, a more informed you know, media mix model um, that I think is the thing that we've got more work to do on. Um, we've got our own take at it, um, currently, uh, that we've kind of demonstrated a, a certain, if, if the, if we're hitting our KPIs from the media mix model, um, business, business is doing well and we're, we're in the right place from a, from a return on investment perspective. And if we're not, we need to modify, um, we've gotten to that point. Um, I will say we have a lot farther to go, particularly as we add on new channels that have extremely limited capacity for uh, for uh, any sort of identification. Um, so when you think about linear um, 
you, you lose the ability to identify a user. Whereas on uh, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, you're able to maintain because the platform on which you're engaging is typically the platform on which you're going to be generating a visit. Um, and so you're able to cookie, you're able to do those sorts of things. Um, with linear, you're doing a lot less specific uh, things. And so we're working on, can we do some IP address matching? Can we try and identify different ways to go about that? Um, and I'd say uh, that's something that that is still still an open opportunity for us. Right. And, and that's why OTT is so attractive because you get the benefits of linear, but you can do the one-to-one tracking uh, the same way that you can on these digital platforms, which is, which is why it's growing so quickly. But I yeah. guess, you know, going back to places where maybe you don't have the ability to do that because it's not a paid channel like influencer where you were saying before attribution is a challenge for you. Um, and you know, where in stories you get the swipe up, which gives you the click through like you do on paid channels and on YouTube, you can also get some pretty good call to action where on a regular post in Instagram, you can't, are you using offers to try to match back to what's coming from those influencers since you don't really have a click through opportunity there? And if not, maybe if you could shed some light on what you are doing to help measure that. Not yet. Um, so like I said, I, 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 what we don't want it to feel like is, uh, is this is a, this is a person that we found on the internet and paid them to talk about our brand. I think that's like very inauthentic. Um, but if you're paying them, they still have to put that disclaimer there. So kind of people know that it, that that's happening or you're not paying them for it. Uh, it depends on the person. Um, so sometimes we are, sometimes we aren't. Got it. Um, but but it's about the content. It's not about the disclaimer. Um, it's about how are they talking about the product. Got I it. think if you're carrying a use use my promo code sort of message, it just inherently is salesy. Yeah, um, of course. And so we're working through how to make that not salesy. Um, but there are plenty of other KPIs we can use on a posting basis. Is first we need to know when they've posted. So exact time of post is really important. How many followers do they have? How many engagements did the post get? Um, and then looking at our own our own channels uh, to understand impact. Um, and our channels are from the social platform itself all the way to the website. And uh, and so that's the way that we're tracking those is is effectively pulse testing, but just like on a very micro scale. Um, right. And that's, a, that's what makes it hard sometimes that the, if it's not a big influencer, it's, it's so exactly. small where if they drove 10 purchases, that might be a win on an ROI basis, but so hard to measure on a pulse test basis. Exactly. So, so the larger the influencer, the easier it is to, yeah. to measure. The more the it looks like it linear. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the yeah, exactly. So the, the but but you know the 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 smaller influencer, you can use some heuristics from larger influencers. Um, so you can start to build a model around what does influencer engagement look like given engagement rates, uh, given audience types, given uh, 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 type of influencer, things like that. Like there are basically and and they become a little hand wavy as you get to the micro-influencer scale, um, but, uh, but definitely um, we, it, it, that, that's, that's how we're approaching it right now. Um, and I won't say that we've seen it just be gangbusters successful because we're still in kind of the test and learn phase, but we are optimistic about the way we're approaching it. Tom, one more quick question before we uh, take a look at the human side of Tom. How are you looking at the content that's out there, particularly uh, user-generated content that's coming through channels, the way people are even responding to the things you guys are putting out there, um, and, and, and seeing what people are posting, seeing what content's out there, 
and using it to drive uh, how your your product lines are changing and the thinking behind designs, as you know, as as a way to measure. So it's not just straight old surveys, but just monitoring the content yeah. that's out there and where your product is appearing, and, and and how people are using your product also. So you can say, okay, look, uh, this is this is you know. Looks like everybody's no one's vacationing in this stuff, but everyone's using it around the. They're wearing it inside, so let's adjust yeah, our absolutely. marketing to that. You know, totally. Uh, Def is a big piece of of, of how we do this. So um, we get a we get about uh, I think right now we're averaging about 120 uh, inbound user generated uh, photos a day. Um, and um, what's cool about that is we get a survey of, of who our customer is, what items they're pairing with our products, um, exactly what you're talking about is, is basically uh, can, like we have so much data on these people. And so our design team definitely reviews. And that's how, uh, frankly, our tops program began is, is we saw when we were running, uh, when we were putting out the shorts and the swim trunks, we saw that our customer was pairing that with a, a oftentimes with a loud, like bright Hawaiian shirt. Um, and, uh, and, and so that's like how it's informed the, the origination of that product category. And it continued to evolve it. Um, because then we started to see nuance in the way that they were wearing tops and, and pairing tops with bottoms. And if you have a wild bottom, we're seeing a decent amount of, of kind of subtlety on top. If you have a wild top, you need subtlety on bottom, things like that are all definitely informed by this. And it's the best survey that we have is, is just massive amounts of inbound, um, from our customers base. So huge in the design process and huge in terms of informing us like what product categories are doing well. Um, so if we put out a product and like right now we don't have a good measure of where of like the wearability of a product, right? So like, let's say um, I, we sell, you know, X amount of product. I actually don't know if that person's wearing them uh, that much, right? And so I think fundamentally the thesis that we have is the more somebody wears something and the more they appreciate the wearing of something, the more likely they are to reorder into it. Um, and so monitoring just styles that are getting worn and frequency of uh, photography is definitely a big piece that informs merch, informs loyalty, informs marketing on how should we uh, how should we think about these products in terms of their own loyalty rates and reorder rates and things like that. So it's super useful and awesome, awesome to be a part of a community that is that is uh, so visual and so uh, and so willing to share. Fantastic. Yeah. And it seems to me that if you have a wild top or a wild bottom, you deserve a koozie. <laughs> yeah, no matter what. Yeah. No, you, you deserve it if you wear wild top. And that, that's right. right. That's yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That's right. So, okay, uh, let's uh, pause for a moment. When we come back, it'll be time for off the grid questions where we get to know Tom a little bit more on the personal side right after this. to laugh do you love great interviews with a lot of heart do you like good stories do you like to hear about life well good news because if you listen to a show called funny people talking all of that happens right danielle all of it happens every single thing you said on that list and more hey, well elsie does any of it not happen it all happens Come on, Elsie. Okay. It really right. happens. Okay, well, you should join us on Funny People Talking on Mouth Media Network. You can find us anywhere. You can find a great podcast. And I know it's true because these people loved it. Woo! 
only for a short time while they were listening to the show, Then Life Sucked. Listen to Funny People Talking. All right, it is that time of the show where we... It's time for Questions Off The Grid, with fashion is your business. Do Off The Grid questions, and uh, that means we ask questions, Tom, that are a little more off the grid, a little more personal in nature. We have no idea the question we're going to ask. We have no idea the order we're going to ask the questions, because there's three of us uh, on the mic here uh, along with you. Uh, So the way we solve that is with a spin of our beloved Wheel of Grid Destiny. It's a prize wheel of sorts. And uh, (laughs) we're going to give a quick spin and uh, figure out who asked the first question. So I'm going to spin that wheel. And the first question comes to me. So how about that? Uh, (laughs) All right, Tom. uh, Can you uh, share a... Uh, rose and thorn stories from uh, one of your favorite trips. From one of my favorite trips. Sure. Yeah. So I, I've recently gotten engaged. Um, and, or I guess not so recently these days. We got engaged in uh, last August. Oh, congratulations. Uh, congratulations. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Is that the um, rose part? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah that, like this, the rose part is, I guess, self-explanatory. It all worked out. Um, the thorn part is uh, so so we we so my fiance's name is Brina. Um, Brina and I had uh, basically one weekend, one opportunity to kind of for me to quasi surprise her with a trip um, and and setting setting the stage for an engagement. So um, I had booked this very special trip down to Santa Barbara. Um, where we were going to fly down to Santa Barbara, spend some time at a hotel, um, you know, get engaged and go celebrate in Santa Barbara for the weekend. And so that was the plan. I had set up uh, a full schedule of events for Friday night. And she has um, no idea that there's even a trip happening at this point. She had she knew that there was a trip happening because she needed to she needed to get Friday off. Okay, but got it. She didn't know where we were headed. Um, didn't know there was and, rain. <laughs> yeah, did you know she she knew something was up when when the stage was set in such a way, but uh, she didn't know the schedule of events uh, and she didn't know uh, exactly that we were going to be that I was going to be asking her to marry me. Um, so. So I had set up Friday in a very programmatic way uh, and, and like was was ready to go, had everything planned out to a T. Um, we were going to go get drinks. Then we were going to go to we were basically recreating our very first road trip together was where we went. To, we went down to Santa Barbara, had like some great dinners. We went to this great restaurant. So I was going to take her back to this restaurant uh, after we had gotten engaged at this beautiful location in Santa Barbara. You weren't going to um, give her a will you marry me koozie, were you? <laughs> Well, that was one of the ideas I was banding. It definitely was. It has to have crossed your mind. (laughs) Yeah. Cheaper than an engagement ring. See, that's the arbitrage here. Um, So so we uh, get to the San Francisco airport, and in the San Francisco airport, uh, we, you know, it was right around lunchtime. um, We we decided to stop off for some food. Uh, At at my fiance Brina's uh, behest, we ended up getting sushi. 
at the airport. Oh, um, uh, and uh, <laughs> we already uh, know the ending. <laughs> and so, so um, I stayed away from the sushi. I got, you know, I think I got some ramen and some pot stickers or something like that. Uh, she had some sushi and some seaweed salad. Um, and so then we on to Santa Barbara. Not, you know, not another thought. Um, we landed our hotel room. And we're getting ready to go to drinks, and um, and uh, and she starts she starts feeling uh, a little queasy, a little a little activity in her stomach, and um, and and so we start, you know, it basically we we start to start to feel that there's okay, is this evening gonna happen? And she's like, yeah, yeah, totally, I'm fine. It's I think it's nothing. Um, so, so because she's like, oh, I know I'm getting engaged, so I'm fine. <laughs> let's yeah, get, exactly. let's keep going. She's, she's a trooper. <laughs> if you've got a question um, to ask so, me now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, so, so that's her internal drama. Meanwhile, um, I'm trying to figure out what to do with this giant ring box. Um, and I have heard uh, it, one one of my other friends who recently got engaged gave me this pro tip of. You don't want it in your pockets because it's really obvious, and then they know they're getting engaged. <laughs> and so the place you hide it is, uh, you know, effectively in your crotch yeah. region. Oh, yeah. um, in, in your chubbies. So, in your baggy chubby. Well, I was going to say, this is the one. This is, uh, the... is apparently, is, it was now the new thing, I guess. So, oh, no. so my drama was that I had now wedged the ring box in a, oh, in a no. very tough-to-manage place. Um, you know, this is and... one of the few moments cargo shorts would have come in handy. Exactly. Um, So, so I've got, I've got the ring box there. She is feeling queasy and we're just both having like a, such an awkward, strange experience to be getting engaged upon. So, so uh, we're walking down the hall and I'm kind of waddling, making sure that this thing's pinned between my legs uh, so that, you know, the jig isn't up. Um, And so we head off to drinks and, um, when we hit drinks, the the it's it's in the lobby of this hotel. Uh, the lobby of the hotel is just jam packed with people who are rushing everywhere this way and that. And in my waddling state, I can only move at maybe a quarter of the pace of these folks. And so it's obvious this is a dead giveaway that something weird oh, no. is going on. <laughs> and so I have to pick up the pace. Meanwhile, that means that the ring box starts just going crazy, like right down, <laughs> like very obviously, you know, bulging <laughs> you know, in weird places. Um, and so I make a beeline for what I thought was the restroom down a set of stairs she's meanwhile struggling with her stomach i go down and say i'm going to use the restroom pull the ring out put it in my back pocket fluff the fluff the shirt over the uh over the ring box which is what i should have done anyway when i get back up she's in full stomach not cooperating mode and she's like was the bathroom downstairs which (laughs) on the surface level is a very easy question but for me now i'm struggling with do i say no but then she's like, what were you doing down there? So I, of course, say yes. And oh, no. She, oh, not no. knowing the story only keeps bathroom, getting worse. I, <laughs> I thought there may have been a bathroom. Uh, so, so then she goes down there and 15 minutes later comes up and she's, she's in like dire straits. Like, why would you lie to me about there being a bathroom? Oh, no. Um, and so eventually the bathroom is like very obviously in plain sight. She goes, uh, but, 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 you know, the, the evening goes on. She keeps trying to, to power through and I keep trying to take her out on romantic walks. 
she keeps cutting him short because <laughs> it acts up again. So anyway, we that evening was a wash. She ended up having to go uh, back to the hotel room, um, and I ended up just having some tacos <laughs> uh, for dinner. And then uh, the next day, uh, we we were lucky enough to find a really beautiful spot and got engaged. Oh, so no. um, it so all worked really out. Kind of rose and <laughs> yeah, it worked out. Wow, yeah, it gave us a story to tell. That's right. Wow, what I a think that story. is like the all time rose and thorn story it really is. I mean, it was also, if i didn't, if it was I didn't also know better t- i would think that was pre-rehearsed well, yeah, was that was not, brilliant was i think it's also the all-time um you know off the grid question i feel like <laughs> I we're, like we're kind of yeah. screwed now with so, what we're asking. i know it's like top that yeah. people uh, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. just for the heck of it i'm going to spin the wheel and see what happens right. and let's see the next uh question is from joe all right um so i'll give you a, a an easier one um, how about, uh, what, if you could make any Chubby's product that didn't have to necessarily be marketable and profitable, but was just something that you'd love to see made, what would it be? That's a good question. Give me a moment to think about that one. Or it could be something that you presented and got shot down by others and never got made. Either way. <laughs> so how about I how about I take it in a different way? Sure. I'll tell you about some of the products that Chubby's has made that uh we all thought were incredible ideas. Um <laughs> and no but, one else uh, <laughs> that the customer base. So uh one of them was if you're trying to wear shorts and it's pouring rain outside, that can sometimes be a bummer because your shorts will get wet, right? And so uh, we recognized this was an issue in our customer base. Uh, we didn't see a lot of people wearing shorts in the rain, and we knew exactly why. So we designed rain slicker shorts. Uh, so basically, you a yellow, like a bright yellow rain slicker <laughs> pair of shorts that had draw cords down on the thighs. So you cinch them up. Now you're wearing your shorts in the rain, they're not getting wet, and you're good to go. Surprisingly, not a new market. That's That wasn't the disruptive uh, concept we thought it would be. Uh, so... That was one that was really, really interesting for us. The other one that that you know we noticed was people aren't wearing shorts as much in the winter um, and uh, and so once again, your solution to that is we make a puffer jacket pair of shorts that go on over your <laughs> normal shorts. Well, what else would you wear solution. in the winter? Now we've solved it. The, <laughs> then the winter market explodes. So uh, so puffer jacket that looks like a normal pair of shorts has. Great, great layer of insulation and where you can unzip the pocket holes, but these don't have pockets because you'll put your hands into your normal shorts pockets because you, we know you're wearing them as an overshort. Once again, it has all the makings of, of a hit product. Uh, surprisingly, didn't do so well. I, I think uh, next time you have these ideas, just come to me first. I'll, I'll just, let you, I'll just, I'll just yeah, I think, exactly. I think maybe, maybe just someone needs to be more honest with you. I'll just like, I'll just be like, look, Tom, like, yeah, you like know, stop. I love the fact, <laughs> exactly. what I love is the fact that we've been recording this and this has been memorialized for your later reference. So yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right, one more, my turn. one more spin of the wheel. And I don't really know who it could come to, but if we get <laughs> lucky, it, it might be Kathy. All right. Um, so maybe this will be a little question on uh, things that inspire you or not. Um, are there uh, any particular phrases 
that are used on a daily basis or frequently to you um, that make you crazy or that you find <laughs> particularly inspiring? Uh, one that we use a lot internally is, is uh, stay humble. Um, and I think that, that uh, we use that quite a bit um, because in our business, things change so quickly and so rapidly um, that the moment we're up riding a high the next day, we are, we are working and scrapping. Um, and so I think for us, we just constantly have that perspective, which is, which is awesome. And the, the team is definitely, uh, oriented around the idea of we need to keep growing and keep pushing. Um, and I think that's what that, that phrase means to me. Um, and so that's something that, that has been really, really cool, um, to see, uh, get, to see kind of definitely, um, um, promoted throughout the organization. Um, so I think that's probably the best one. I, you know, I don't, I don't think I have any that are, that are too, you know, that I'm too critical of. Um, but, but that's one that I really like, um, that, ha that I'm glad I've, it has, has been propagated through Chubby's. All right. Very good. Thank yeah. you. That that almost seems like a final thought to me, but I still like to invite you, Tom, to uh, reflect on our conversation uh, or, or anything else that you'd like to. And if, if there's a final piece of wisdom or a final thought you'd like to leave behind. Um, yeah, I'd say I'd say what, you know, what I believe has been successful about Chubby's above and beyond um, the brand and community and things like that is, has been this commitment to perpetual learning. And so it's related to stay humble. It's related to some of the things that we've talked about, but uh, the moment you think you've got things figured out is the moment the ecosystem changes. Um, and so, so for us, that's really, really important. And, and as you're thinking about your businesses, your fashion businesses, uh, out there that you're trying to build. Um, it's, it's just perpetual learning, perpetual growth. If it doesn't work, that doesn't mean that it won't work. Um, and I think that's been something that we've come back to time and time again, and has proven itself out uh, time and time again for us to be, a, to be a recipe for success within reason, within reason. All right. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, one more thing, uh, we like to invite our guests to share how people can connect with them and of course their brand. Now, I don't know if you want to invite people to reach out to you directly or not. You can invite an email. You can mention LinkedIn. You can direct to social or you can direct just to the brand in some way. So I'll re-ask the question. Yeah. But uh, everyone's different about what they're looking for. So, uh, hey, Tom, how can people connect with uh, you and, and obviously with the brand? Uh, yes, for sure. So, so my email is is one of the most hackable emails in the business. It's Tom at chubbies dot com. Um, and so, if you want to shoot me an email, I'm sure you can also figure that out. But uh, feel free to contact me there, uh, and definitely engage with Chubbies on social channels. Um, we're at Chubbies uh, on Instagram, uh, Chubbies on Facebook. Um, and uh, Chubby Shorts on Snapchat. So yeah, check us out, see what we're doing, give us some feedback. Uh, we love we love getting more people in the community. Um, and uh, uh, yeah. Well, fantastic. Tom Montgomery, Chief Digital Officer and Co-Founder at a, a super cool brand, Chubby's. Uh, thank you very much. And if uh, if you don't have a koozie, you should, you should turn to Chubby's first, I think. <laughs> yeah, so. All right, thank you very much, Tom. It was, it was such a pleasure. All right. Appreciate it all. Thanks, Tom. All right. And uh, thank you, uh, Kathy Shepis, for joining us uh, on loan. Yeah, no, that was American fun. Fashion In the Podcast. gallery. Nice meeting you, Tom. Absolutely. And, yeah, nice to meet you, Kathy. And uh, again, uh, 
Mouth Media and our connection and partnership with Commerce Next has had a chance to interview some of the, the speakers from uh, their upcoming conference. It was really great to have uh, Joe Yakwell, the CEO of Agency Within, with us on today's show. Uh, thanks a lot, Joe. Thank you for having me. All right. And uh, to hear more from speakers like Joe, by the way, you can check out Commerce Next on July 31st and August 1st in New York City. For uh, Joe and for Kathy, I'm Mark Rako. We really appreciate you joining us, and we'll see you next week for another great guest. Until then, have a great day. This has been Fashion Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2019. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes at fashionisyourbusiness.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business.